that? Off in the distance, riding closer. Pat a pat, pat a pat, pat a pat, pat a pat. Oh look, it's a friend! It's a it's, friend on a horse! It's the best kind of surprise! Pitter pat, pitter pat. Hey, friend, who are you? We can't tell because of your armor covering your face. <laughs> Uh, hi there, guys. I'm Eric. You may remember me from the five other times I've been on this podcast. Eric! That's right! When did you get a horse and knight armor? Oh, you know, just picked it up on the old eBay machine. <laughs> you have a machine? Yeah, it's the, called a computer. Oh, I was hoping <laughs> it was like a big crank thing that you have to turn on and it's steam powered. It's also my Twitter machine. Fun fact about me, I have never been astride a horse. Really? Really? Not once. It's very interesting. I don't think it's as majestic as some people make it out to be, but it is kind of fun. Yeah. It's my dick and balls and butt. <laughs> I am not a fan. Well, yeah, it would. You, you have you have a sensitive butt area. Yeah, I've got like eight different buttholes. <laughs> it's a real, it's like a slice of Swiss cheese. He won't let me see the eighth one. <laughs> if you do, you see how you die. <laughs> You have eight toilets, one for yeah. each. One for each. Oh, boy. It's like an Achilles penis, <laughs> but for my shit. What's the X-Men thing where Professor X goes in and it amplifies his mind powers? C- Cerebra. It's like that, but with toilets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Cerebra, but for poop. For dump. Yeah. Yeah. Cerebrum. Tom, what do we do on this podcast? Christ. Oh. Why is this podcast different from all other podcasts? Hi, I'm Tom Lockney, and this is the Media Majors Podcast. Every week, my lovely co-host, Liam, and sometimes guest this week, Eric McAdams. Hello. Tell each other true stories from our preferred mediums. I'm really into video games and internet culture. I like show business. And because movies and TV were already taken, I am the sports You're the sporto. You're sporto McJockerson. I am the sportsman, sports boy. You're the jock, right? I'm the criminal? You're the the basket The future white nationalist gamer. Uh, (laughs) And then then we got the dork and whatever Molly Ringwald was. And the janitor. And they were all friends. Which one's Jane? Uh, Jade is the principal. Because <laughs> she's because uh, when you get the bull, you get the horns. I think I think Luke would have to be Molly Ringwald. Yeah, Luke's Molly Ringwald because he eats sushi. That's just been in that movie. Molly Ringwald has sushi sushi for lunch. That's been in her bag all day. <laughs> it's convenience store sushi. What do it's, you want? It's warm, it's so warm sushi. Ugh. It falls apart like mush hey, in her hand. Wait a minute, sushi is from Japan. Eric, is there a segue in here you could use? Sort of. <laughs> My story today, so I've told you stories primarily about uh, baseball and the Olympics, one about basketball. Today I'm branching out. We're going to Japan. We're going to learn about sumo. Oh, yeah. We sure are. So just a quick note, I've got a lot of material to get through today. All right. You working on your tight 20? Uh, sort of, uh, I've just, so maybe keep the tangents down cause I want to keep your podcast at a listenable stretch. Oh, right. trust, I'll edit everything to ribbons. We are going and, to yeah, and if, as much progress as possible. Yeah, we're going to okay. be like, constantly interrupting, feel constantly, free to like, feel free to take out something about that isn't Phil like necessary. <laughs> and his sad, sad music won't <laughs> stop talking about him. And that crow. Who's the crow? Music theory? The crow? The one that looks at him. It's the one that looks at him. Mm-hmm. The crow is the hair of the dog that bit him. Whoa. And Brandon Lee died on the set of The Crow. 
Whoa! It's yeah. all coming together. All I don't think he died on the set. I think he died in a car crash. No, he no, died. He on was the, shot. He was shot. He was shot. By a blank. Yeah. Oh no! It was it was Bruce Lee that died in a car crash. Is that Correct. what I'm thinking yes. of? Yes. Okay. Anyways, so, anyways, now this, that we've talked about the death of the Lee family, now that we did the one thing that you begged us not to do. <laughs> Now that we've started the podcast the same way we start every podcast, where we talk about Bruce Lee's death, mm-hmm. we can begin. So the, I, I'm going to start this with a with a quote, like really heady think pieces do, okay. or, like King or novels. Here's my quote. You are forced to change. You cannot stop it. It is natural. On May 8th, 1969, a man was born who would change the face of Japanese sumo forever. His name was Chad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (sighs) Chadwick Haheo Rowan is born on May 8th, 1969 in Waimanalo, Hawaii. He is born to a taxi driver and an office worker. He does not grow up with wealth or particularly high amount of book smarts. All he really wants to do is sit on the beach and eat food that is slathered with ketchup. Yeah, yes. Is this... Wait, am I him? (laughs) Chad is painfully shy, but he grows up very tall, and so he goes to university on a basketball scholarship. Okay. On this basketball scholarship, he begins to study for a career in hotel management and tourism. But around this time, his grandfather dies, and he and his brother Ola are pallbearers at the funeral. And it's at this funeral that they get noticed. Yes, really, at a funeral where they were pallbearers. Because they're so tall? No. Real Tom Lockney fact. Lots of sports <laughs> recruiters go to funerals. Because you can see how, str- how strong somebody is by the way that they grieve. They're called to a meeting with a man named Jesse Kuhalua. Jesse is better known as Takamiyama. Takamiyama was a well-known sumo wrestler. A native of Hawaii, Takamiyama was the first foreign-born rikishi, or sumo wrestler, to win a sumo tournament at Japan's highest level. The first one ever. He's impressed by the Rowan brothers' size, and he wants to scout and train them for sumo. Just to clear the air, what do you guys know about sumo? Big uh, boys, big n- <laughs> near naked boys, mm-hmm. just yes. slapping that meat up against each other. They really to, love I, it. I, I I could totally be wrong, but I believe that the, they have to push the other person out of the circle. That's part of it. The basic rules are after they begin after a long series because it's a it's big on rituals. After a long series of pre match etiquette and ritual and all this stuff, they actually have to match their breathing with each other at one point. Cool. And the ref will stop the the bout if they haven't matched their breathing when they begin they crouch down they put both fists on the mat and once they do that they begin the bout and once their fists come off the ground if anything but the bottoms of their feet touch the ground they lose and if they're forced out of the ring which is made out of clay and straw bales they lose and if the meat slap wet noises aren't good enough they don't get the big boy prize at the end Oh, some matches end without any meat slap sound. Really? <laughs> Tom yeah. is now Ooh. sworn off of sumo forever. Sumo on mute. Matches can last for several minutes, but they usually end in about 10 or 15 seconds. This is interesting because they take at least 5 to 10 minutes of preparation before every bout. 
in sumo, at the highest level of sumo, in which is called Makuchi in Japan, there are six tournaments a year. At these tournaments, they compete in a 15-day round-robin tournament, as in each wrestler fights one match a day against another wrestler, and whoever has the best record at the end wins. So knowing all that, just I've, I know I asked you this already, but like, what's one word that you that comes to mind when you try and describe sumo? Big, big, powerful, powerful. All right, back to back to the Rowan brothers. When Takamiyama sees just how tall Chad is in person, he says, "No, not you." He wants Ola, who's a bit shorter. His his because the thing about Chad is his 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 physique, despite him being six foot eight is all wrong for sumo. His center for gravity, center of gravity is way too high. His limbs are way too long. There's no way he could pack in enough strength and power in one drive to compete well in sumo. He'll just topple over. It's it would be too easy to get under him and push him back. So Ola, the younger brother, is who Takamiyama wants, but the problem is Ola is still in high school. But Chad's father, Randy, Oh my god, yes! <laughs> the names are excellent. I know. Stepdad Ron. Yeah, Chad and Randy. Randy wants both of his sons to do this because he thinks that the only way they can really make something of themselves is to get off the island. Chad's dad says, if you want my younger son, you have to take my older son first. That's like an advanced Rumpelstiltskin It's a very move. fun little plea bargain <laughs> they've got set up. Yeah. Chad's mom, however, doesn't want Chad to go. And so much so that when he gets, he's he's getting on a plane to Japan, like this is happening, but she doesn't want him to go so bad that the last thing she says to him before he leaves is, I don't remember bringing up a son that doesn't listen to his parents. Yeesh. <laughs> oh man. You know who is awesome? Parents. Yeah. Parents Chad is a shy, quiet boy. And he cries the entire flight to Japan. You know how you know how parents are good, and when they want to like communicate an earnest, like reasonable emotional feeling, they just mm -hmm. passively aggressively or openly aggressively just take it out on their kids. Yup, yup, yup. Chad arrives, and he's been told in advance that the only thing he should bring with him are the clothes on his back and a set of workout clothes. That's it. So That's all they wanted to bring. And more clothes. So just yeah. say clothes. Two sets of clothes. When he arrives, Chad is treated as an honored guest. He's given the biggest bed. He's given great food, great hospitality. And he thinks, you know what? The dankest reefer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Maybe this isn't going to be so bad. Admit he's not. He's still getting used to everyone staring at him because he's fucking six foot eight in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> The next morning at 5 a.m., one of the older sumo apprentices wakes him up by kicking him in the face. Jesus. He says, last night, you were a guest. Now you're a wrestler. So I asked you earlier what you what would be the one word you picked to describe sumo. Mm -hmm. the, the correct answer here isn't like big, powerful, whatever. It's hierarchy. Oh, no. Okay. Everyone has ranks in sumo, and I don't just mean the wrestlers. I mean every fucking person involved in it. Top to bottom. The referees are ranked. The hairstylists are ranked. There are five ranks of hairstylists just to do <laughs> their hair before a bout. This is real. I believe you. Supreme hairstylist. Undercut expert. <laughs> 
There's only one hairstyle, and there's only one, the and they say it takes <laughs> ten years bangs. to learn how it's to horrible do it. Bangs. It's Zoe Deschanel bangs. Oh, every <laughs> single sumo wrestler just has terrible bangs. <laughs> Well-known fact about bangs. sumo. That was my word for sumo was bangs. <laughs> that would be two entendres. <laughs> So, Chad, at age 18, is at the absolute bottom rung of the ladder. There are younger sumo apprentices here. They're like 15 and 16-year-olds, but they're technically his elders. He does not speak a word of Japanese. He He doesn't speak a single word at all. And he says this was the hardest part, because working out, he had been an athlete. That was not the hard part. But the not knowing the language made him feel stupid, obviously. But also, it meant that every time someone ordered him to do something, he would take a couple times for him to understand it, and he starts just repeating like a broken record whatever anyone says to him in an effort to really try to learn the language. Mm -hmm. And I say they order him to do something because they make him do all kinds of demeaning chores to earn his place. He describes this later on. He says it's hell. It's like he accidentally joined the military. His whole life... His whole life, he lives now in three rooms. Like, he does not go outside for most most days. He's paid nothing. He gets 5,000 yen in allowance every two months. He's not a professional. He's an apprentice. He hates the food, like, because sumo wrestlers get served this very specific kind of food called chanko, which actually chanko means anything you feed a, feed a sumo wrestler, but mostly they get served chanko nabe, which is this very specific kind of stew. He hates that. And initially he starts mixing ketchup in with it because he can't eat it. Gross! I know. Gross! You know what's missing about stew is it's not thick enough. It doesn't have wet clumps of ketchup floating around in it. And not only does he hate the food, he doesn't get much because wrestlers with more more seniority get to eat first. And the scraps are left for the other people. Oh, that sucks. And he doesn't have a lot of problems in the in the ring because he's so he's big and strong and bigger and stronger than anyone else. Like the fifteen to six year, 16 year olds, he can beat every time. But they're still his elders, so after he beats them, they make him like scrub the bathrooms with a toothbrush because they can just do that. He says he cries himself to sleep almost every night for the first six months, and once every two months, like I said, he gets this five thousand yen pitiful allowance, right? He uses it to call home every time. Every time he uses it, and he gets about, like, three or four minutes on this international call with using his entire allowance. And every time, he cries and tells his mom he wants to go home. Ah, man, this sounds like horrible, horrible summer camp. Mm -hmm. And every, every time she says, okay, that's fine, we don't have a lot of money, but I can borrow some, I'll send one of your uncles, he'll pick you up and bring you back. And every time she says this, he remembers what happened in the airport when he was leaving. His dad made him promise to make something of himself. His mom said she didn't remember bringing him up this way. So every time she says, it's okay, we'll bring you back, he remembers and he says he can't go back without making something of himself. So he stays and he trains and he gets better than the other kids in his stable. Chad makes his professional debut in the March of 1988. And as is the case with every sumo wrestler, he is given a new name. No sumo wrestler wrestles under their family name. That doesn't happen. 
too it's like too I, much for the families because then all the villains will start finding them. <laughs> yeah. Chad becomes Akebono. It means New Dawn. Cool. Okay. From his very first professional tournament, he has rivals. Because two other wrestlers make their professional debut at the exact same tournament as Akebono. They are known as Takanohana and Wakanohana. <laughs> They're brothers, and they descend from legendary former wrestlers. This is real. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> One quick side note: That's they originally like a Disney movie about sumo wrestling. Fans. Yeah, no, no, no. It gets better. It gets better because originally they they wrestle under different names, but they only become Takanohana and Wakanohana when they've proven themselves. Because those are the names they talk the talk and walk the walk. No, it's it's those are the names <laughs> that their father and uncle used. And what's interesting here is that Wakanohana, the elder one chooses his uncle's name because his uncle was the better sumo wrestler. Interesting. Yeah, hey, Liam, about- how you doing there, buddy? That was so good. How are we all not being ourselves right now? Woo, okay. <laughs> so, these two brothers, as you might expect, are expected to be good. And their bangs are impeccable. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Sure, but they they look especially like large babies. Like they, <laughs> they look really nice. Like except then you realize that they're both like six foot tall and three hundred pounds. Takanohana is the larger of the two. He's six foot one and three hundred and forty pounds. Akebono is somewhat bigger. Jesus. Akebono is six foot eight. At the peak of his career, he will be 550 pounds. Oh my what god. the fuck? That literally, I, if you put all of us into the same bag of meat, it mm. would not weigh as much as that man. Mm-mm. Nope. So, I told you that they're seen as the golden boys. How do you think Japanese crowds see Akebono? Not a golden boy. Like, a, like yeah. an underdog, except everybody hates them. Kind of like that. Akebono is the ogre, the monster, the gaijin villain. He's a foreigner. He's really easy to root against. He's he's huge, so he's intimidating. He started to bulk up to fit his size, and at this point, he's one of the biggest and heaviest sumo wrestlers of all time. Amazing. Cool. He also seems to... He's got a really stoic expression, so he seems to glare a lot. And he's foreign, so he's really easy to root against. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the next couple of years, Akebono, alongside Takanohana and Wakanohana, toil his, toils his way through Sumo's minor leagues. And every single time Akebono loses, he has to hear the crowd cheer louder than they ever do when he wins. Ugh, Ugh that sucks. Every single time. Man, this, dude, this dude's got some real personal fortitude. I don't yeah, think I would be able to handle it. Yeah, move the fuck over, Harry Potter. So you lived mm. under a stairs. You weren't Chad. Sometimes yeah. somebody says something kind of mean to me on Twitter and my heart rate like elevates a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> so at this time, another Hawaiian sumo wrestler is making headlines. He is called Konishiki, and he is the heaviest sumo wrestler of all time. How heavy is he, Eric? He's about 630 pounds. What in the fuck? That's for just, so... Oh, just for Where reference. Where they buy their shoes? It is, it is, like, really impressive that these dudes go, like, I'm going to join this profession and, and get... <laughs> I'm going to be big! I'm going to huge up, and then they just do it. 
That's really of course, impressive. The, the drawback to this is that sumo wrestlers tend to have a lifespan of about 10 years shorter than most other people. Oh, Not that's surprised. very sad. Yeah. Uh, just for reference, Konishki is about as heavy as if you took three Babe Ruths, the person, <laughs> and put him in a bag. So as Akebono and the two brothers enter the highest division of sumo, a debate is raging among sumo fans. Should Konishki, who has been doing very well recently, be allowed to enter the highest rank in all of sumo, which is called Yokozuna? I have to tell you about Yokozuna before we can keep going. Yokozuna is an incredibly exclusive rank. Mm -hmm. There are, There's no real parallel to it in any other sport that I know of. There are rarely more than three at a time. Damn. Ever. It's like Alec Baldwin's acting seminar at NYU. (laughs) It's like being poet laureate. It is like being poet laureate. Or like Alec Baldwin's actual acting seminar at NYU (laughs) that only 12 unfortunate souls are allowed to be a participant of. (laughs) In the last 250 years in the highest division of sumo, there have been 72 Yokozuna. Total. They are Each one the, bigger than the last. <laughs> it's because they, they eat are, the one before. <laughs> that's how you become. To gain his power. I mean, that's also how it works for Poet Laureate, too. It does <laughs> yeah. make a lot of sense. I like yeah. your rules for Poet Laureate. There can only be one. Yeah. They are the absolute top of the sumo pyramid. They are so revered that their behavior is said to reflect on all of sumo as a whole. So if one starts drinking Pepsi, they're all yeah. going to start drinking Pepsi. They are Pepsi. so revered. They are expected to wear traditional Japanese garb at all times in public. It is seen as something of a scandal if they wear, like, a business suit. I mean, I guess that's but, uh, fair. Like, if the if the Pope walked out in, like, jorts, I'd give pause. Yeah, but it's... And actually, it's really... I would, it's really that would be the greatest thing. I would love to see George Pope. Oh, man, also, check out this cool Pope. I would also love to see a sumo wrestler in a business suit. Wait a minute, that Pope looks just like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> pope Burger and Paradise. Paradise is heaven in this situation, kids. It's interesting that you bring up the Pope because that's part of it. Since sumo is partially a religious ceremony... They are seen as as like a a vessel for a deity at times. Oh! At the beginning of every sumo tournament, a yokozuna performs a ritual a ritual to cleanse the area of bad spirits. This is a really extensive and really traditional part of sumo. That's kind of cool. I really that's yeah. really cool. And at the time that Konishki is being considered for it, not a single foreigner has ever been a yokozuna. And or and the and the 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 guidelines for a person for a wrestler to join the yokozuna status is really strict. Among chief among them is a wrestler needs to com, needs to win two consecutive tournaments or compile a, a a an equivalent record. Konishiki does this in the space of three tournaments, and remember there are only six per year. In the space of three tournaments, he wins two out of th- out of the three, and in the one in, and the one in the middle between the two that he wins, he posts a very good record. The problem is the Japanese committee in charge of selecting yokozunas is really cautious right now because they've had some bad luck in the past few years. They made a couple people yokozuna who really should not have been. There was one who had literally never won a title. 
On top of that, the Japanese committee isn't particularly impressed by Konishiki's technique. His main thing is to be immovable and force the person out of the ring. He doesn't have a lot of adaptability in that. Okay. Okay. Because there are 82 recognized techniques to win a bout in sumo. Most sumo wrestlers use, like, five, generally. Like, if a, if a sumo wrestler uses 40 in his career, he's considered very versatile. There's actually technically 83, but you can only do that if you find the secret menu online. <laughs> actually, there used to be there used to be less, but they, they introduced more pretty recently. Is one yeah. the, like, like politely asking them to step out of the ring method? You can you can do a you can do a trial by combat. Mm-hmm. If you if you beat their Pokemon <laughs> squad in Pokemon, then you win. You, oh, there's the find their birth father technique. Where <laughs> you find their birth father, and they show up to the match. And totally it gets really emotional. Off. Yeah. <laughs> there's the dog return. Really just getting their heads. The soldier who was in the army technique, <laughs> where you make them watch videos of dogs seeing their soldiers come home. One of them is that you just stab them. One of them <laughs> is that you just kill them. <laughs> that one is really looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. If someone did that in a, in a sumo, re- sumo, if they ever had a weapon, they would be immediately forced to retire for life. That's, like, just yeah. gone. What about the weapon of Christ? If a Yokozuna has any kind of behavior infraction, they are expected to retire. You cannot be demoted from Yokozuna. You have to retire. Okay, so this this position holds a little higher standard than, say, like, the President of the United States? <laughs> yes. I am <laughs> not a crook. 100% yes, it's harder. The last reason that the Japanese committee in charge of, elect- of selecting Yokozuna isn't a big fan of Konishiki... He's a foreigner. Yeah, I was waiting for that shoe to drop. Yeah. Sumo began as a Shinto religious ritual. It's quintessentially Japanese. And one committee member at the time outright says no foreigner can possess the dignity of spirit required to be a Yokozuna. The The dignity of spirit is, is called Hinkaku. It's, and he says that no one who isn't Japanese can, can possess it. And on top of that, they're not happy at the amount of foreigners joining the, the sport in total. Uh, soon after Akebono enters the professional leagues, there is a motion from the Sumo Association to limit the amount of foreign wrestlers that a stable can have in total. And it passes through, and that's just how Sumo is. Interesting. To be fair, I think if my hundreds of years long uh, sport, incredibly tied to my culture and heritage... Uh, was accepting somebody, and I looked at the roster, and I went, okay, this guy's name is Chad. I I would also maybe go, hmm, what's Chad doing here in my sport? So Konishki, the 600-pound human being whose nickname uh, is Dump Truck, (laughs) Konishki is denied the chance to become Yokozuna. That's unfortunate. And actually, it ends up being kind of a mixed issue because based on those three tournaments, he probably should have been allowed to be it. Mm-hmm. But after that point, he never wins another championship. So they're somewhat vindicated. Like, so maybe don't give him too much credit. Meanwhile, Akebono and Takanohana and Wakanohana have been battling their way up the sumo ranks. Konishiki, in the, I told you about the three tournaments. The one in the middle, he seems set to win that tournament which would have been his second in a row and would have made three in a row, when out of nowhere come Akebono and Takanohana. Takanohana wins the tournament. Akebono is the runner-up. And just all of a sudden, these two nobodies are, like, thrust into the spotlight. 
And then two tournaments later, the the exact tournament after the Sumo Association denies Konishiki the chance to be a Yokozuna, Akebono wins his first tournament. Nice. Yay, Ooh, Chad. Good for him. He and Takanohana each win one more tournament before the uh, year is over that year. It's become pretty clear by this point that Akebono and Takanohana are the real powers. Wakanohana is good, but not as good as the other two. And what's interesting is that sumo officials hardly ever have the two brothers fight each other. The sumo officials choose who fights who in each tournament. And in the their entire careers, the two brothers only fight once. Interesting. Mm. Did um, yeah. Takanohana won? Uh, yes, it was a playoff and Takanohana won. But they have both of them fight Akebono all the friggin' time. Mm, at least once. Like, at, at, at once a tournament. Like, every time. So, the first couple fights that Akebono had with Takanohana ended up with Takanohana just getting blasted out of the ring. Akebono has this really strong tsupari technique. Tsupari is where you slap an opponent repeatedly with, like, mm-hmm. outthrust arms. I've seen that. And Akebono had really long arms. <laughs> and way longer than any sumo wrestler was used to dealing with. And he had, so he had a really strong technique. And the first couple bouts, he just, he just shoots Takanohana out of the ring. But Takanohana, being a very clever and talented sumo wrestler, figures out that if he can get close to Akebono, get under him, he can usually figure out some clever way to throw him to the ground or back him out of the ring. So Takanohana wins the next few. 1993 is Akebono's best year. It is his prime. It is the best year of his entire career. He fights with such ferocity that just a year after Konishiki was denied a chance, talks of Yokozuna are immediately rekindled. And again, the same talking points get dr- get drawn back out. They're, they're, they say they're not really that impressed by his technique, although they do think he's stronger than Konishiki. And this is now attracting attention from international press. Like, you see the New York Times writes pieces about Akebono and Konishiki at this point. Hmm. And, th- and at this point in 1993, I think Sumo is the most popular it's ever been ever because of this. Every time Takanohana wins, people are ecstatic. They love Takanohana, they are not big fans of Akebono, and every time Takanohana wins, you see evidence of that. They just explode when he wins. It's really kind of disheartening. And even, there are some where Takanohana wins in, like, pretty standard wins, and there's this thing in Sumo where if you think a match was, like, really just amazing, like, blew your mind, you throw your seat cushion into the ring. Awesome! <laughs> Fucking which, That needs to be in awesome. all sports. That needs which to be I in think literally is, every sport. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great tradition, but there are some where Takanohana wins in a pretty, like, standard match, and that happens because they're just so fucking happy that he beat Akebono. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it, like, it makes me grind my fucking teeth. It becomes pretty clear that Akebono is fighting so well, despite men leading the association having grudges against foreign wrestlers. And actually, the one who led the association at that time retired after Takamiyama himself beat him in a match like he was so shamed by the fact that he lost to a foreigner he retired and then went on to be the president of the sumo association hmm. akibono wins his second straight championship all their arguments are for fucking not akibono becomes the 64th yokozuna of japan in early 1993 awesome good Hell for yes. our boy chad chad <laughs> he's our man yeah, and it, but in case you thought that the rivalry was going to go away because Akebono becomes Yokozuna before Takanohana does, the winner of Akebono's first tournament after becoming a Yokozuna is Wakanohana. Whoa. The next one 
is Takanohana. This sets the stage for Akebono's defining moment, the 1993 Nagoya tournament. All three of these of the of the rivals are contenders in this one. At first, it seems like Wakanohana is amassing a really impressive pace, but on the third to last day, Akebono beats him. Then Akebono is the one to beat, and Takanohana does that on the last day to tie all three in a three-way tie. Holy, Holy shit. <laughs> that was gratifying. <laughs> All three are in a three-way tie, and when you have a tie at the end of the tournament, that means that necessitates a playoff. That means we have a three-way playoff to win. I'm not sure why, but the structure is Akebono fights Wakanohana, and whoever wins that faces Takanohana. Okay. Okay. Akebono beats them both one yeah, after yeah, another. Akebono. Chad. In the same day, two bouts in the same day, Akebono wins the tournament. And then in the next four tournaments, he wins three of those. Nice. Wow. There's just like a year and a half where Akebono is the best sumo wrestler in the world. And it's all because it's all because somebody died. <laughs> <laughs> all because he got scouted at a his, fucking funeral. His grandfather, because Pop Pop died. Man. <laughs> After my, this, my however, grandfather died. My family just cried a whole bunch. <laughs> no it was, it was just very sad. No one yeah. scouted you for grief ball. <laughs> no. After this, however, Akebono starts to succumb to some injuries. Takanohana really comes into his own at this point. He becomes Yokozuna after Akebono did. There's a period of four years where he wins four tournaments a year. Damn. Jesus Christ. Takanohana just, he just comes into his own. Akebono is limited by injuries. And all of a sudden, Takanohana is by far the best sumo wrestler in the world. Mm -hmm. There's a period of seven matchups where Akebono loses all of them to Takanohana. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, Akebono just like, all of a sudden, Takanohana is the is a force to be reckoned with. And to be fair, Akeno, Akebono wins a few more championships. He wins like one a year for a few years, but injuries really start to hamper him in his late career, and he, he, there's a point where he goes three years without a single championship, which leads to people start to call for his retirement, which is understandable. But then something weird happens. He gets married and has kids. And for whatever reason, when everyone's calling for his retirement, him having kids sparks something in him, and he has his best year in years. That's amazing. That's so good. He has his first injury-free year, and admittedly, he's still feeling pain, and he, and I think in five of the six tournaments that year, he either wins or is runner-up. In his final tournament, in the winter of 2000, Akebono is matched up against the only two other Yokozuna in the last two days of the tournament. On day 14, Akebono takes on Takanohana, and somehow, over their entire careers, in the highest division of sumo, their head-to-head matchups are exactly tied. Whoa. Oh my god, wow. They have, Akebono has faced Takanohana 44 times at the highest level, and they are tied exactly 22 to 22. Oh my god. And and it's pretty clear that Akebono is going to retire after this. Oh my god. He's old, he's, he's put on even more weight, he says his knees hurt constantly at this point in his life. And yet when the bout starts, Akebono does something completely uncharacteristic for his fighting style. He jumps to the side instead of charging straight ahead. Ca he catches Takanohana almost like in his armpit, 
completely surprising him, turning an angle, gets an unexpected angle, and just forces him out of the ring in their final head-to-head matchup. Amazing. Incredible. The next day, Akebono faces the other Yokozuna, the newest one, Musashimaru. Musashimaru's real name is Fiamalu Penetani because he's from fucking American Samona. He is the second foreign-born Yokozuna in the sport of Japan. Nice. Oh, man, this is so good. So his final bout, Akebono faces Musashimaru, the one he opened the door for, and Akebono wins that too, Ah. wins the whole tournament, and retires on a win with 11 career tournament wins. Awesome. And that is the story of Akebono, the new dawn of sumo. Chad! Fucking hell yes. Eric, fucking Ah. excellent story, bud. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to get to Tom and mine's quick stories, and we're just going to let you kind of sit in the glow of the sumo glory. (laughs) Mm. Back in history class, did you ever take a step back from that textbook you were reading and just think to yourself, man, these people are very dumb. Hi, my name is Eric McAdams, and I have a podcast for you. It's called Big Time Whoopsies, and every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network, I tell a guest, and you the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Big Time Whoopsies. People are dumb, and history can prove it. What an ass. Ah, So good. Tom, you got a story for us? Oh, by the way, we forgot to talk about the theme. Theme. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're on the same page. Every intro, I desperately try to claw my way into talking about the theme, and you always impede me, Liam. It's part of why our dynamic works so well. I'm an impeder. The theme was, you know, rivalry. The theme was sumo wrestlers from Hawaii. Exactly. So I'll be upfront with everybody. My story evolved into a two-parter because I, I really latched on to the abstract concept that mine is based on. On trash talk in video games. Ooh. Fuck yeah. yeah. So this first one, this first one is more just trying to abstractly chart out Chapter 1. I fucked your dad. <laughs> Don't see <laughs> how that I fucked your dad. On May 25th, 1965, <laughs> Tom fucked my dad. I fucked Liam's dad. <laughs> Man, my dad really wants to listen Ooh, to this boy. podcast. <laughs> now, <I'm> not, <laughs> now he's not going to be able to. On no, May 25th, 1965, I fucked Liam's dad. Not again! And he fucked me. But also, Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston boxed their second ever fight. Stop. <laughs> Matched up perfectly. Stop. I'm not going to be able to make it to the story if you keep doing it <laughs> to my dad. <laughs> okay, got All the right. giggles out. <laughs> In front of a crowd of almost 2,500 people, Ali... Threw a straight right blow to Liston's head, dropping him in the very first round. As Liston lay KO'd on the ring floor, Ali stood over him and screamed, Get up and fight, sucker. Get up and fight, you bum. You're supposed to be so bad. Oh my god. I love Muhammad Ali. He is wonderful. Rather than return to a neutral corner as per the rules of boxing, Ali chose to humiliate his opponent. This is trash talk. Though it's always been a part of competitive play, cultural expectations of sportsmanship and etiquette had always pushed this verbal element more to the fridge on the, on this like national stage. You know, there, there was a lot of expectation about decorum, just I think across sports. Yeah. But when Ali trash talked, 
No one cared. People loved it. He went against the norm, and he became known for it, celebrated for it. Well, let's be let's be real though. Some people. That's didn't yes. Like this it. is very true. There are there are lots of terrible yeah. people who racists who did not like Muhammad yeah. Ali. If you Google Muhammad Ali trash talk, you'll get list after list and video compilation after video compilation of his greatest insults. While this didn't completely shatter the precedent for decorum, it did help popularize and normalize trash talk as an element of mainstream competition. I done wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. Handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. <laughs> Fucking amazing. That's my favorite bit of uh, Muhammad Ali Type trash two. talk. I fucked your dad. <laughs> Cut to five years later, and it's the 70s now. The rise of arcades. People are experiencing video games on a massive scale in these communal spaces. These games featured limited lives <laughs> and high score. Yes, Eric, how you doing there, buddy? Is this going to be every chapter God, title? I hope so. <laughs> these games featured limited lives and high scores as a means of pumping more quarters from both individual gamers and the competition fostered between them. That is, until the great video game crash of the 80s. Dun, dun, dun. The culture is disrupted, but fortunately Nintendo saves the industry in 1985 with their incredibly popular Nintendo Entertainment System, and trash talk comes home. Thanks, Papa Miyamoto. Home consoles reign supreme, and kids flock to their friends' houses rather than the arcades. But all this is still local. It's all confined and contained to real-world spaces. This is where This is where trash talk is happening. Everybody is getting together and, and it's it's very personal you're with your friends you're with people you know who you're more comfortable with and that doesn't mean that like people don't say fucked up shitty shit when they're trash talking but the the dynamics at play are different in this era trash talk is more acceptable because you're saying it to your friends it's funny it's funny for me to go i fucked your dad to you liam because i and you eric because i know your dads and i don't i did not fuck your dad and it's hilarious what whoa 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 <laughs> it is not it's not okay to say i fucked your dad because you know I my dad i disagree entirely. that's not I why put up a perfect argument yeah there. yeah it's because i both know your parents no, 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 it's like, a logical fallacy like Friends, we understand. It's okay for you to say it because you know me. Yeah, exactly. Me. <laughs> because we're friends, we are comfortable yeah. with another with one another in certain ways, and that doesn't give us like carte blanche to say whatever we want to each other. But it does yeah. color when when one of us says something in, in like competitive jest. Because in this context, you trust your friends to say like, "Hey, that exactly. was messed up." If they do, yeah, if exactly. You do that. And you trust your friends to be comfortable with being called out when they say fucked up things and to take your feelings into account this has been a lesson yep. on friendship from the boys at the major cast don't Network. be mad that we fucked your dad <laughs> don't be mad that i <laughs> fucked eric and liam's dad god damn it <laughs> so once the 90s roll around we start to see the accessibility and popularization of online play there's still a large LAN presence, but, you know, we start getting networked games like Doom. In 1997, MMORPGs start to really kick off, and video game communication begins to hurtle into the online with text chat, and you guessed it, voice chat. Uh-oh. Chapter 3. I, I fucked, fucked your, your dad. dad. Nailed it. Oh, man. I fucked your dad, and it was so nice. I hate you. Voice chat or voice over IP existed on PC as early as 95, but it didn't really exist in any meaningful way in that vital demographic, the home console market, until the aughts. 
Consoles, unlike PCs, were not yet thought of as online devices due to technological limitations. Then, in November of 1999, Sega releases the Dreamcast, a video game console with built-in VoIP capabilities and an internet service called SegaNet. You can, now you can talk to people over the internet who you maybe don't know, who you haven't seen before. Coming full circle, the popularity of online play helps to boost the visibility of esports, with many gamers now invested in the same online games esports figures play. Esports players, like Ali of old, are now known for their trash talk and rivalries. This is the end of my very light breezy part one about how uh, trash talk is kind of infiltrated video games yeah and how it's and how it's different now i we we touched on this like two seconds ago but now trash talk is online and all sorts of types of content is based around that not just esports but like call of duty youtubers back in the day used to have like quote unquote trolling vids where they would i mean i've talked about this where they would go online and call people like the n-word as trash talk or like say a lot of gendered misogynist insults to women and then put that up as like, isn't this funny? There's also like the opposite version of that where women online would go like, here's a compilation video of every time someone on the internet has called me like the C word. Jesus. You don't have that FaceTime interaction in, in a game space. So trash talk is different because it's not with your friends. It's online with strangers where the sense of humor is different. The dynamic is fundamentally different. And so I think it's worth talking about and thinking about how trash talk has evolved through the years and how why it became acceptable how that infiltrated gaming spaces and now how it is different and bad in new ways join me next week when i'll be talking about some big esports rivalries trash talk in online competitive play and talk about what's good and bad about trash talk in the modern era all right, guys. So at the movies, originally Siskel and Ebert and the movies, uh, was a movie review television program produced by Disney ABC Domestic Television in which two film critics shared their opinions of newly released films. Its original and best hosts were Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, the former hosts of Sneak Previews on PBS and a similarly titled syndicated series in the 80s. But uh, their biggest and most well-known were Siskel and Ebert and the movies, which then they later turned to Siskel and Ebert at the movies. They were both, like, very well-regarded as critics. They sort of brought film criticism to, like, a larger pop culture, but they were also really smart about it. They were so famous as critics that they were lampooned in Godzilla as slimy politicians because uh, they gave bad reviews to all of Roland Emmerich's movies, and their response to that was, you didn't have, have, you didn't have the balls to have Godzilla killed us. Like, both our characters survived the movie, so, like... Also, also, Roland Emmerich has never made a good movie, yeah. so... That, that, that's literally, their response yep. was like, yep. all right, this one was bad, too. Like, <laughs> uh, the show is super-duper popular. It was nominated for several Emmys. Their reviewing system, which was just a simple thumbs up or thumbs down, like, is now a thing like yeah. that is a way to review stuff just uh, good or bad two thumbs way way up for independence <laughs> they definitely, day they definitely also like popularize that style of criticism that is like what is the thing saying is it saying it well does it need to be said yeah ebert was kind of the more emotional one and would like sort of review the movie on how it made him feel whereas siskel was more of the like uh 
analytical one and sort of like wrestled with the themes and stuff. But they were they were yeah. both really smart. I remember I remember reading reviews from Ebert where I was kind of like, you got pissed off by like something in the first and five minutes and you let it. Yeah, and you let it like ruin the entire runtime. And they for you. they were super popular, and the reason was they just had this weird mean chemistry that was beautiful for like an informational yeah. program they argued constantly they they when they disagreed they would argue when they agreed they would also argue <laughs> they had a, a respect for each other but a lot of people also just, just thought they hated each other so what i thought would be really and they kind of did. did at times because <laughs> what i thought would be really fun is i transcribed three of their best behind the scenes sort of banters yes. and arguments yes. and stuff that yes. uh, film crews like secretly kind of took and uh, I thought it would be fun for the three of us to do a dramatic reading. Um, I'll be reading unseen crew members and stage direction and I've casted Eric McAdams to play Roger Ebert and Tom to play Gene Siskel. Are you guys both still cool with that? Absolutely. 100%. I call this one promos. Uh... Interior, TV studio, day. Oops, Roger Ebert. I corrected it to Robert Ebert. <laughs> Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel prepare for shooting promos for their hit show. Was this the same suit I was wearing last week? No, it's not. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's right. I was wearing a brown sweater. This isn't the part that's supposed to match, Slick. Give it a moment's thought. What are we doing now? The promos. What do they have to match? Nothing. No promo has ever matched anything. I thought we were about to do- Welcome to the exciting world of television, a wholly new field that you can begin to learn in. Well spoken, Roger. Well, that's something you rarely hear. Compliments really paid to you. Gene Hackman and Kevin Costner in the Pentagon thriller, No Way Out. That's this week on Siskel and Ebert. We're going to have to do it again. You're going to get flash frame of him speeding through the stars and titles. You won't have a second and a half of it. Okay, fine. Let's do it again, please. Sound a little excited, Gene. Sound less excited, Roger. That's why we're redoing it, because of what you did. It's Thriller Week on Siskel and Ebert at the movies, and we've got three. It's and the movies, not at the movies. That's why we're redoing it this time. It's Thriller Week on Siskel and Ebert at the movies. We've got three new ones. Dennis Quaid in The Big Easy, Michael Caine in The Fourth Protocol, and Gene Hackman and Kevin Costner in No Way Out. That's tonight on Siskel and Ebert and the movies. And the asshole. And that's Roger. And scene. Awesome. <laughs> Fuck yes. This is so fun. Okay, so this one, I, I tried to transcribe the whole part. Gene Siskel opens with a joke about wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out what he was saying or what the actual joke was, but the crew laughed, so I call this one Protestants. Interior, TV studio later. After making a near in incomprehensible joke about doers, a shitty booze, and wasp yuppies. You know, they don't get enough shit, basically. Wasps. They don't. They don't. They're called yuppies now. They run the goddamn country, and all of us, all of our money, I I'm speaking to everybody that's eavesdropping right now. They don't run the whole goddamn country, Gene. What about the international bankers? Oh, yeah. And not to mention the Vatican. 
Oh, okay, but that's not what I'm... And the commies! They, they run the country. The wasps run the country, and all of us should band together and overthrow them, and there could be... You think our president is a wasp, don't you? No... No, I don't think he's a wasp. Because he's Irish and so he's Celtic. You know what I mean. They're all Protestants. Okay, guys, we really gotta do these promos. Come on, band together, people! Let's overthrow the country! Protestants, people who sort of want a religion. <laughs> we have to start cracking up. Wow. The Catholics okay. and the fucking <laughs> Jews. <laughs> the Catholics and the fucking Jews, we go back a few years together. Come on, we're real. We get God and we get dirty. What we the hell is going What the fuck is going on yeah. right now? Yup, wait, guys, and guess what? Just keep what going. the fuck are they talking Tom, about? Tom, let, let us continue. Say that, take that line again. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we're real. We get God and we get dirty. Dirty. We were burning each other when Martin Luther was still a gleam in his mother's eye. I'll take a Baptist. I'll take anything. Some passion, some blood going through their veins. Case closed. Anything. Right, goddamn Protestants. Biggest thing that happens to them is Sunday on Sunday is a bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> they got to decide what color yellow tie to fucking buy. That's right. <laughs> what the, the, whole crew, the whole crew laughs hard. Okay, we, we should really start. Gee, what tie will it be today? The lime green or the darker lime green, honey? It's the only fucking religion that has Reader's Digest as a prayer book. They have all the money and the government and run everything. The only time a Protestant gets on their knees is to adjust the TV screen. Okay, <laughs> tape is rolling. Here we go. Sound? Steve Martin and his newest comedy, Roxanne. This week on Siskel and Ebert and the movies. Scene. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck did you just have me do, Liam? So, an anti-Protestant screed, obviously. No, Gene Siskel is Jewish. Okay. So what they were saying is that they're like, oh, Jews and Catholics, we've been at each other's throats for years. Oh like, my God. They were just Protest ripping on Protestants. Yeah, they're just being like, Protestants aren't really in this. They're too boring. Amazing. All right, and then this one is my absolute favorite. I call okay. this one McDonald's. Interior <laughs> TV studio later. Another round of promos. The science fiction film RoboCop. This week on Siskel and Ebert and the movies. Another take. This week on Siskel and Ebert and the movies. The science fiction adventure RoboCop. Okay, let's do that again. Very funny, Don. And you're my friend. That's the last time you'll enter my home. Did you know for Gene, speech is a second language? Roger's first language is, can I have an apple pie with my order? He Ooh. asks the workers before they ask him. You know what Gene says when he goes to McDonald's? Can I have the apple five there are with order? <laughs> they both, they <laughs> both crack up. <laughs> Roger is the only guy in history to ever answer yes to every question he gets asked at McDonald's. <laughs> want some salad with your apple pie? Want some fries with your salad? Want some hamburger with your french fries? Want some shake with your... Want some shake? Want some shake? I knew Gene couldn't sustain that for long without a grammatical error. 
I don't know how many items there are, but they worked him through the whole fucking menu. He set a record and ordered every fucking thing they have. He ordered a cone and a sundae. Now, the other day, Gene was in there, and the cashier said to him, would you like some french fries with your order? And he said, no, maybe other, 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 ah, yes, no. Blah, never mind. And then he walks out. So Roger walks in, and they say, one of everything to go, and one of everything to stay here. When Gene walks in, the person behind the counter says, Mr. Jones, quick, come here. You can understand Mr. Siskel, can't you? What will you have, sir? Pounder quarter! Uh, pounder quarter! Quarter pounder! Cheese no cheese! Shake milk, shake milk! (laughs) They ask Roger if he wants cheese on his cheeseburger and he shouts, Yes! (laughs) He gets salad, cherry pie, and a Coke on his burger. They crack up as Roger pretends to point his arm at the menu like Gene would, saying, Shake milk, shake milk over and over again. (laughs) Guys, please. This week on Siskel and Ebert, the science fiction film RoboCop. And scene. Incredible. I've never identified with Roger Ebert more than Siskel saying they ask Roger if he wants cheese on his cheeseburger and he shouts yes. (laughs) Guys, this was so fun to transcribe because I had to keep repeating it. So that's just the behind the scenes stuff. I would really recommend checking out clips of the actual show. They review Jaws for the revenge and they just rip that movie a new asshole. And it's incredible. And there's tons of great clips and they're weird and they're uncomfortable and they're entertaining. I would also recommend reading Ebert's eulogy to Siskel. It is very heartfelt and sweet. They they really did respect each other and they also really did hate each other. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes we talk about rough stuff, but today we did it. Today was just good times all around. Yeah. But we still like to end it with a little self-care corner where we talk about something good that happened to this this week. Uh, Tom, would you like to go first? I got hired at a full-time employment job. I'm so fucking happy. I'm going to quit that fucking movie theater insta- instantly. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm going up to Maine for the holidays. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's fun. Maine's fun. You'll get to meet Steven King. <laughs> I went to my first office holiday party uh got very drunk <laughs> with my boss and my co-workers had a ton of fun did a shot off an ice luge thing <laughs> there was a dj there was a magician there were tacos it was a real hodgepodge of things liam likes mm-hmm. <laughs> and i got to meet some cool comedy people good self-care corner mm-hmm. eric thank you so much for being on another episode of media majors no you're problem. Our- you're one of our favorite guests. We love all of our guests equally. But you're a you're favorite? Our, you're one of our favorite guests. <laughs> we only had like four. But you're one of them. Do you have anything to plug? You can find me on Twitter at audaciously yours. You can find my personal website, nocharactersafe.com. You can find my other podcasts on the Major Cast Network, Big Time Whoopsie, Sunday Morning Hangover Cure, and Shmanime. Don't listen to the last one. You can also search my name, Eric McAdams, at pastemagazine.com. That's about it. Thank you very much for listening. All right. Major Cast Network stuff. That's Major where, Cast that's Network. Listen to, listen to King Me. I'll have a new episode coming out on New Year's Eve, so really prime listening opportunity. <laughs> 
you would like to follow the podcast, you can find us at Media Majors Cast on Twitter. You can email us at Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you enjoy our content, it helps other people find it. We just have word of mouth to go off of. So, you know, positive reviews always help us get discovered. And as always, we'll be there for Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.